Logical Progression, Year 4, Chapter 14, Lesson 11. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barak l'anabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in, Allahumma la sahla, illa ma ja'altu sahla, wa anta tajul al-hazna idha sahla, Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatika ya rabbil kareem, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Hayyakumullah, hayyakumullah. To be honest, that's the most inappropriate color I've seen in my life. <laughs> today, just for today, just for today, you should be wearing yani. I don't know what the Bengali color is to be honest. Red, maybe. Yeah. Pakistan did our best that you're wearing a green hat, yara. If I had a green hat, I'd throw it on the floor in disgust. I'm so upset at Pakistan today. So anyway. Okay then, so inshallah today uh, we're going to cover a number of points, bi'ithnillah. Um, and the Arabic of what we will be covering today, by the way, don't get freaked out when you hear this, like, go bang, bang, because this is very windy and these uh, fans, they kind of make a loud noise, so don't get scared, yeah, any of you hear the bang, yeah? Um, so the text that we're going to be covering today, inshallah, is وَيُجْزِئُ مِنْ مُمَيِّزٍ وَيُبْطِلُهُمَا فَصْلٌ كَثِيرٌ وَيَسِيرُ الْمُحَرَّمُ وَلَا يُجْزِئُ قَبْلَ الْوَقْتِ إِلَّا الْفَجْرَ بَعْدَ نِصْفُ اللَّيْلِ وَيُسَنُّ جُلُوسُهُ بَعْدَ أَذَانِ الْمَغْرِبِ يَسِيرًا Hopefully we will cover all this today inshaAllah. Um, for those who are fo- uh, following it in the Arabic, okay, there's an interesting point. If you are using this version of Sharh al-Mumtiq, which of course is the one which is uploaded on the portal, then you will see that on page 77 of the text, um, which is where I just read that um, the, the matan from, it says, وَيُسَنَّ Okay, in Arabic it says, وَيُسَنَّ جُلُوسُهُ But it is more correct, it is, it, is, it is more correct to say, وَيُسَنُّ Okay, so if you have the text, then you can correct that. And that just goes to show just how easy it is for little mistakes like this to creep in all the time. I mean, this is a muhaqqa text. So this is not like, you know, uh, hundreds of years old. This is written in modern times, transcribed and checked by scholars and this and that and so on. So, وَيُسَنُّ جُلُوسُهُ بَعْدَ أَذَانِ مَغْرِبِي يَسِيرًا Translation of all of that is um, it, it, it is and it is referring to adhan al-qama it is also acceptable from a child of discerning age. They are both Invalidated, adhan and iqama, both invalidated by a long delay in between or a short interval where something impermissible occurs. It is not acceptable to be given before the time enters except for the fajr prayer where it can be given after midnight, i.e., the adhan. After the adhan for the maghrib prayer, it is sunnah to sit for a little while. So that's the text. Now, I'm just looking at this translation and I think I need to mention something. What do you think of the statement they are both invalidated by a long delay in between? What does that immediately mean to you? Because I've potentially seen a problem there. Really? Between Adhan and Iqamah? Is that what it means? Huh? 
So that, that's, that's the exact opposite of what it should mean. So that's not very good then, is it? I'm referring to a gap within the adhan or the iqamah. So in between, but I, I don't know why I put in between then, to be honest. That's poor that, isn't it? What should it say? They are both invalidated by a long delay within within it they are both invalidated by long pauses within it so let's agree on a text and then our transcribing team can then correct that when they write up the official notes so what we're going with they are both invalidated by long pauses within The, the problem is that that's not correct to say within sentences because uh, that's not correct. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't. The sentences are irrelevant. It could be between a word. It could be between two words. It could be within a single word. So the delay is not necessarily between. It's not restricted to a sentence. Why not say long silence? Uh, because 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 silence is not the problem. It's the delay. It's the. It's the missing, it's the fact that the next word hasn't come out for a long period of time. It's not that it's silent. You're going to learn in a minute that if I was to say Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, and then go make wudu, I can't come back and say Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. So there's no silence issue there, is it? It's the fact that I went and made wudu and it took a long time. So it's nothing to do with silence, nothing to do with sentences. It's that it's like I said to you guys before, a couple of times actually, that when it comes to an act of worship, it needs to look like an act of worship. It can't come across as bitsy. Otherwise, if it comes across as bitsy, then it's just small individual little things. The adhan is only adhan when it's an adhan. It's a complete unit. Yes? And so that's why when we say there's a delay, there could be delays for any possible reasons. Like I said last week, you can sneeze. That's a delay, isn't it? But it's something which doesn't, to the people, seem like a breaking up of the unit. It doesn't break up the salah or the adhan or the qira'ah or whatever. So I think what we'll do is we'll go with they are both invalidated by long pauses within. I'm okay with that. By long pauses within. Okay? So, you know, uh, the, the team can uh, deal with that. Right, let's start from the, the beginning then, inshallah. Um, what if you prolong the word? So, so, so that's what last week was, right? That was, you know, this elongation which we said is bid'ah and is against the sunnah. So long to, pauses to, within, doesn't it? A pause is not elongation of the of the pronunciation, right? Mm. So if I say Allah, that's not a pause, is it? Mm. I'm elongating the the words, isn't it? It's a long uh, elongation or whatever. I don't know what it would be called. Mm. To be honest, it would be long, long what? What is that? Long. It's just elongating the the word. Yeah, I think long pauses. I think makes it very clear that nothing's being said. That's the key. There's nothing's being said. And we will explain that in a second, inshallah. Um, okay, so let's explain some of this, give some details. So the first one is that it is acceptable to come from a mumayyiz. Uh, and I have translated it as a child of discerning age. Now this is very interesting, okay? Um, uh, the adhan we're talking about. And the mumayyiz is generally seen as... Um, that who has a, a child who has reached the age of seven to the age of maturity between that, okay? This, this is the, 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 what a mumayyiz is. 
you know, in Protect This House, if you've taken Protect This House, I give like a list of 10. I should have really brought that up, to be honest. I give a list of maybe 10, 5, 10 words in Arabic. And I explain, you know, roughly what ages they refer to. What does Tufil refer to? What does Fatha refer to? What does Ghulam refer to? And these are not very accurate. You know, the Arab system is that they're quite flexible and they can apply to different kind of ages, small. But Tufil is like a child. Just like in English, we have a, you know, we have baby. Then I think it's toddler next. Let's do the English version. What's, 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 what's newborn, yes? First is newborn. When does newborn finish? Six months? Three months? Okay. So uh, we agree that it's not set, yes? It's a cultural thing. So three months. After that baby? Until when? What's the next phrase, first of all? We can work backwards. Toddler. So when does a toddler start walking? It is like 12, 16 months. So So when it starts walking, do we immediately apply toddler? Okay, all right. I think my, my, when, I, when you think of baby, you do think of someone who can't move yeah, by themselves, meaning walking, crawling, you still kind of think, think of it as a baby. Okay, so toddler, how long does toddler start, last? last how long? What's, okay, work backwards. What's the next phrase? Kid. <laughs> infant? That's good. Yeah, it's either infant or child, isn't it? Is child a phrase or not? So, so hold on, is child part of the game or not? Is the word, so what does a child refer to? Isn't a child that you've had a child? You've had a, no? It's so, across the whole spectrum. So it doesn't refer to a thingy? Likewise, kid? Right, so kids, that's good, you see? Kids and child, kid and child, not part of the game. So the next one is infant then, do you agree? What's, what's next after toddler? Infants, yeah? I think it's infant. Well, how long does infant last until? That's good. That's good, yes. Until you go to junior school. (laughs) So, that's not very long, is it? You go to junior school now when? Five? Five, isn't it? Reception nursery is three and a half. I've got an article here. Do you want me to... Go on then, yeah, go on. So, baby is from zero to 12 months. Uh, First of all, who's the article by? It's uh, healthychildren.org. <laughs> <laughs> the bastion of correctness when it comes to children. It might give us some idea. Babies is 0 to 12 months, toddler 1 to 3 years, and then preschool 3 to 5. Is, uh, preschool is a toddler. They call it a preschool toddler, right? Okay, yeah. And then teen 12 to 18. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's that? What's that? What a load of... Th- th- that, that's your Googling. Well, in between, it's a grade schooler. I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst. <laughs> Honestly... Uh, number one, it was the worst research ever. Number two, <laughs> to make it worse squared, you gave us American bakwas, yeah? It was the first thing. Like Unbelievable. That. We were doing so well. So we had infants. Yeah. I don't think there's anything after infants, right? Child. In Sharia, the phrasing differs according to responsibility. Right? So you have tifal, which is seen as baby. And there's no issue. And there are phrases for breastfeeding, baby, and whatever, blah, blah. So it's very small. But then you have, again, general phrases that young uh, boy, young girl, teenagers. And you have a ghulam, which is also like young boy, boy, young boy kind of thing. But 
this mumayyiz is a very important phrase because it refers to the concept of tamyiz. Tamyiz translated means distinguishing, to distinguish, to discern, to be able to differentiate. Mumayyiz, right? You know this, uh, 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 this verb is in play when you get mumtaz. When you get mumtaz, which means excellent, Mumtaz it means excellent in lingu- in, from a linguistic point of view. In our modern day application, Mumtaz is what you would get if you get distinction on your university degree or whatever. So the word distinction is clear, you see. Mumtaz in, in the kind of the, 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 the what's the word? Um, common language means amazing, but linguistically it means you are distinguished from the rest, right? And yani, you are. And imtiaz, likewise, the Pakistani favorite Pakistani name, yeah, which you see no Arab ever, ever have. It's a pure Pakistani ownage, imtiaz, right? Um, so, um, the Mumayyiz, therefore, is a child that's able to discern. What are they able to discern? So, some said right from wrong, some said um, uh, just general responsibility. Two are very different. One's a practical and one's an ethical one. So the practical one, the practical discernment, is that is, it, is, is, that, is this the age that you send your kid down to the shop to buy a loaf of bread? You have enough confidence that they would not 100% trust a stranger or they wouldn't like lose the money or play with it in some kind of you know, ridiculous way. There's a bit of that. The other angle is to look at it from that the Mumayyiz is one who actually understands that they're doing something right and they're doing something wrong. These are all, I want you to know that there's a scholarly difference over this. And that's why even here we can't agree. Now, when are we going to be able to determine it? That the child is Mumayyiz. Sheikh Uthaymin asked the question, is it going to be based upon a reality or is it going to be based upon a nice easy number? Now, of course, the latter is easier. To have the number seven is nice and simple. Where does the number seven come from? It comes from the hadith that we've already covered. The Prophet ﷺ said that uh, that pass your kids by the prayer at the age of seven. Yani, you know, present it to them basically. Put it in front of them. Nothing serious, yani. And, but make sure they're disciplined over it at the age of ten. Meaning if they don't pray, they don't do whatever, don't do it properly, or they refuse, or X or Y, at age 10, it becomes serious. So this is a nos. We actually have now a text that gives us something, you know, to work with. 7 and 10. So the question is then, some scholars said, we'll use this as the uh, kind of standard, and we'll, take, we'll nick 7 from this hadith and apply it across the board. And others, they said, well, no... Actually, and, and those, those, the people who said that position, they said, well, why did the Prophet ﷺ say seven? Why did he not ever command a child for anything of any sort before the age of seven? Because he didn't consider them to be ready for it, to understand it, or even to understand what a command means or the implication of a command. So there's some discussion there. Um, and that makes sense anyway. The second opinion is that it's got nothing to do with an age. It could happen to a six-year-old who's clever enough, and it could be a slow nine-year-old, for example. You know, someone who is... Advanced, not advanced. You know, you get kids like that. And that's the, certainly the, the top position of this class. Inshallah, it's the correct position as well. The correct position is that it's not a number. It's a reality. But seven is pretty much when every child's going to go through it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's like a medium position. The correct position is that it is based upon a reality. You as a parent know when your child is ready. However, prepare for it at the age of seven. 
Okay. Next question is, um, why did the author say that it is um, acceptable from uh, Mumayyiz? Um, because there's some controversy about that. Yes? Why would you be doubtful? doubtful? Well, you would be doubtful because um, it's an act of ibadah and you expect, therefore, the person to, who, gives the, who does the act of ibadah to be someone that it accounts for. Yes? Now remember, for an act of ibadah to count for you, you have to know what you're doing. That's very important. Because if you don't know what you're doing, then you have no intention. If you have no intention, the act is not accepted. Don't forget that. That's very important. So therefore, the one who's insane, for example, whatever they do, they don't get reward for it. Because they don't know why they're doing it, whatever. Likewise, of course, whatever they do from a negative point of view, they're not to be punished for it either. You've got to have both ways, right? Because they're not able to understand. So, um, and that's why they're not held accountable. And so it's a free pass. And likewise, a child. So a child has to have a will, an intention, and an understanding. Now there's a big scholarly debate, which I think we touched upon back in the day, right? About what happens when a child doesn't act over ibadah. All right? Is that just a waste of time? And we said, no, definitely not a waste of time. We believe that, um, we believe in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be over generous. Meaning that he will get the, or she will get the reward for that act, preserved for them later, in a kind of purely reward sense. But not in, not in some kind of, I've completed my obligations sense. So there will be like a, almost like a monetary reward, like a jazat reward given for the act. However, if they were not to do the act, they wouldn't get punished. So it's a very nice and easy way to understand the good acts of children. And so therefore we would respond to the first claim that this child doing something pointless. We say no, not pointless at all. That child will get the reward for doing that adhan, even if they're five years old. And or, or seven years old because that's what they're being told to do. And obviously, training them is, an, is a second point because getting them ready for these things, the whole idea, again, using the hadith of the prayer is that you start at seven so that at the age of ten is settled. And as like I told you, like I've said before, even the prayer is not required from the child at the age of ten either. It's actually legally required at the age of puberty. And so you can see that there's three stages and we are always preparing for the next stage. So... Of course, we still want to encourage the child to do it. Now, there is something interesting that's a little bit different here. And that is... Um, and that is something which I found uh, 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 nice. What Sheikh Muhammad uh, uh, Al-Mukhtar Al-Shanqiti, he said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَاسْتَشْهِدُوا شَهِيدَيْنِ مِنْ رِجَالِكُمْ Okay? This is very interesting in Surah Al-Baqarah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and... and uh, seek two witnesses from your men And this was the evidence Why some scholars said that It is not acceptable from a child Because they said that The khabar News Information Must come from someone Who is Trustworthy Who is trustworthy to bear witness Okay Now we already discussed this That the adhan is a very major piece of news because it establishes the obligatory prayer, it ends the obligatory fast, it, you know, etc., etc., etc. has a huge amount of legal ramification. You can't give it to some, you know, we've already said we can't give it to a criminal, we can't give it to someone who doesn't know. We can't. So when we give it to a child, we're saying to ourselves that we trust this child to, you know, to really do this correctly. However, the verse would go against this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that when you're, when you're asking for someone to bear witness, and that's what you're doing, the one who gives adhan is bearing witness at the time has entered. So he's a, he's a witness. 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said clearly, وَاسْتَشْهِدُوا شَهِيدَيْنِ مِنْ رِجَالِكُمْ So seek witness or seek witnesses uh, uh, or find witnesses that will witness from your men. Two of them from your men. And the men there is very intentionally mentioned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala very clearly to make it clear that it has to be someone who is baliq, aqil, you know, someone who's post-pubescent, what knows what they're doing, etc. So we have a potential contradiction. Sheikh Uthameen combines between them and he says that um, uh, there is no need for us here to have a problem. It is permissible from a child as long as they are accompanied by someone who knows what they're doing, who tells them, or they have access to something which clearly says it is now Maghrib time and it's a system which everyone's you know running by, like a clock or a computer or whatever, and then they give the adhan, the adhan will be yujzi, meaning it will be acceptable for the salah and we are able to pray and we don't need to repeat the adhan again. Is that clear? So what's the practical lesson here? That a seven or eight-year-old, yani basically a child who is knowing what they're, what they're doing, okay? If they give the adhan for the prayer and it was at the right time someone told them or some program or, you know, clock or whatever, then that adhan is correct and it's acceptable, doesn't need to be repeated, doesn't need another adult, and that's the position of the madhab. And it's the position of the class as well. Is that clear, everybody? Any questions on that? Yeah. As long as they know... They have to know. I mean, we can't just, you know, say this is a child, hey, give the adhan, he just gives the adhan random. You know, they have to have an idea of what's going on. Or they have to be under the control or, or you know, accompanied with someone who doesn't know what's going on. It just can't be willy-nilly accepted. So, for example, for example, if you're living in a village, and that village you know is village life, there's no clocks or this, that, whatever. It's all based upon experience, whatever. And on the microphone, on the speakers, you heard a child's voice giving the adhan. You'd be right not to accept it and not to pray. Because you have no idea who's this child, who's with the child, what is this child using, etc. You'd have the right to have doubt. If you're in the masjid, however, I'm talking you're at home. If you're in the masjid, however... And you're there and you see that, you know, the mu'azzin says to the kid, go ahead and make the adhan. Then you know it's not a problem. So it's about knowing that the child is getting it right as well. So this question is not really, it's really just about the legality of a child giving the adhan. You have to ensure, obviously, all the rest of the things. Yeah? Okay. So uh, the next point then, um, it is invalidated or rather they are both invalidated uh, with... They are both invalidated by long pauses within. Yes? So, both of them. And as I said before, this is something which is not measured. It's not 15 minutes. It's not 12 minutes. It's what the people recognize as a long pause. That's it. And if you want to put a figure on it, then five minutes is definitely too long a pause. Simple as that. Going to make wudu is too long a pause. That's just too long a pause. However, however, if something happened, I don't know, uh, you know, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, the phone rang and you stopped and you looked at it and then you put it onto silent, for example, and you put it back in again and 20 seconds have gone by, even 30 seconds have gone by and then you go Allahu Akbar, then that, that adhan is correct and it's fine. However, the practical lesson is if you do need to go make wudu and you do go make wudu, then you need to come back and start again. That's it. No, it's referring to the adhan and the iqama. It means that if you were to create a pause 
at any stage of the adhan or the iqama within, whether at the end of it, the beginning of it, in the middle of it, wherever, and you created a pause, the whole thing is broken, it can only be fixed by starting again. If you were to come back and carry on from where you set off, you'd get the reward for doing some dhikr, but you haven't done the adhan. You'd get the reward for saying Allahu Akbar, or Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah, but it's not the adhan anymore. The adhan is a complete unit. It's got to be done together. Does that make sense? Yeah? Right. And then the next statement is very interesting. It says, وَيَسِيرٌ muharram," And this refers to, it is invalidated. It is invalid, and I've translated this linguistically. So I translated this, that it is also invalidated by, um, or a short interval where something impermissible occurs. Now that's a lot of, uh, what's the word, artistic license on my behalf, by the way. Okay? I've really... You know, open the gates there, and I've because yasirun muharram literally translated means small haram. That's all it says. So, the, so if you were to linguistically translate this, it would translate as, and they are both invalidated with a long pause within and small haram. That's all it should say. Yeah, they are both invalidated by the long pause and by small haram. Now. What does small haram mean? I then turned it into, in the English translation, as um, a short interval where something impermissible occurs. Frankly, the interval is irrelevant. Interval, I don't think, is required. In fact, interval maybe even confuses it, maybe. And even short, to be honest, is not good. I wasn't on my A-game when I was translating this, to be honest. Yeah? I think all, I don't know what, or a small amount of impermissibility. Why, why, why does a small make a difference? If something impermissible occurs, Yes. then isn't that the point? Whether it's small or big. Is it emphasizing that even something small? No. Or, or will it be more clear when you give an example? To be honest, I don't think it's going to become more clear when I give an example. <laughs> right. In fact, let me let me. Uh, to be honest, um, this is interesting. Okay, this has been this is a well known fact in this text. Actually, this this particular sentence, it's not something new. Um, the uh, all the commentators have tried to work out why is it that the author himself did not make it clearer. Okay, and because certainly all the commentators they only refer it to one thing. They refer it to haram speech. Okay. So I'm translating, trying to faithfully translate what the author has written, knowing that the meaning is something completely different. And all of the commentators are agreed upon the meaning. The meaning is that you say any kind of thing, haram, in the adhan, it is invalidated. That's what it means. Forget how I've translated it, short, interval, impermissible, this, that, whatever. What it actually means, according to every commentator, is that if you say anything haram, anything haram, in the adhan, it's invalidated. However, if you say something halal in the adhan, it is not invalidated. These are the two lessons to learn from this point. I repeat, you say anything haram. So they always give the same example, these two scholars and other scholars. They said the person's going... Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. And he hears some people, they're backbiting someone. Okay? And then he goes, he goes, Wallah, yani, you know, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, that's so true. He's, you know, he's a right, you know, so and so. Yeah? 
and you know his mum this and his dad that whatever I don't know yeah but he goes in right and there's no shari'i reason no shari'i excuse whatever so then therefore it's haram act it was only a few words and the adhan is gone the adhan is gone okay however on the converse Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar someone goes Assalamu Alaikum I go Alaikum Assalamu Alaikum Assalamu Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar the scholars allow that adhan Okay, that's speech. Now you might say, no, that, that's dhikr. That doesn't, that's, of course it's allowed because what I can say is, is dhikr. It is a Quranic command. It is rewarded for. So I'll say, if someone says, you know, hey, is it Maghrib already? And I say, yeah, it was five minutes ago, I'm a bit late. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. The ulama allow that. Because it is small, considered small, insignificant as such. And it is permissible. So that when you ask, why is it that Yasir is put? Yasir, by the way, we can translate it as little or the word insignificant. Okay? However, when you translate it insignificant and you put it with haram, it doesn't make sense. That's why I didn't translate insignificant. That's why I didn't translate it as insignificant. So the reason they said Yasir Muharram is to show that the small amount of halal is allowed. Have you understood the basic the the the, the, the point? So large, now you understand huh? a large amount of halal. A large amount of halal would be what? Would be a pause. Remember what we said? It's not about silence. Yes, it's about a large amount of yani something else happening that has ruined the flow. It's getting really subjective because you might be asking, "Where's the toilet?" And you might say it's down the corridor. But then you have to describe. Oh no, you turn left, then you go right. Then it's, yeah, good point. So if you're starting to have to explain going to full story, yeah, then this is now going outside of our culture or the urf of the adhan or the urf of this time, especially if your voice can be heard and this and that. And so you're absolutely right. Of course, this is subjective. It's very difficult for us to, uh, uh, you know, put down a law for this. Would we put down characters? Would we make it like Twitter? Only 160 characters, yani, allowed? Or, you know, what do you do? It's difficult. Yeah, so you have to just allow um, what I think. I mean, I've thought about this a lot, a lot, a lot over the last, like, 20 years I've been thinking about this. All right? But when I say this, I'm not, I don't mean this particular mas'ala. I'm talking about the mas'ala of large and small in Sharia. It is a PhD study. People have written books on large and small. Yasir. And shay'un fahish. Yani something fahish and something yasir. I think we covered that in wudu, yes? We covered that in, did we cover that? In the section of wudu about awrah? Did we do awrah? Have we done awrah? In LP? Yes, we can go solo, no one even knows what we've been doing, to be honest. <laughs> I once forgot. Maybe, maybe we haven't covered it. I don't think we have covered it, no. Yeah, but anyway, the point is, is that... Um, no, no, large amounts of bleeding, breaking the wudu. We covered that. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yani, this idea of large amount so that it's not going to be able to take the khabath and the najis, it's got to be a certain amount, okay, and a small amount. This small and large has been on purpose left for the people to kind of deal with themselves. Right, because of the differing times and places and needs and whatever, whatnot. And I, I think it was well best explained in the bleeding issue. 
when we were covering the, you know, what breaks the wudu, right? And we said bleeding if it's a serious amount. And then trying to explain serious. These are all our English words. In Arabic, is shay'un fahish, a significant amount, a shocking amount. And yasir, which means something easy, yani from yusra, yes, yani something simple, something easy, meaning something insignificant. So these final words of shocking or significant and insignificant, these are not linguistic translations of the concept of small and big, but they're consequential translations, i.e. what they mean. And so likewise, when we translate here large and small, it's about significant. It's whether people feel the flow is gone. If you feel the flow is broken, then it's probably broken. And there's a trust. There's a trust upon the people. Now, I'll tell you what's interesting about this. Okay? It, it's interesting because it flies in the face of the traditional understanding of following madhahib. That I have a madhab, and the reason I have a madhab is because I'm dumb. I don't understand anything. And you do. And I've got to just follow you. And I don't have the right to question because I don't understand and I'm not qualified and so on. And this is perpetuated over the years. So a legitimate concern, i.e. me not knowing something and therefore asking someone who does know, is then perpetuated into a way of life where actually we're all just dumb and thick and we have to just completely accept the people who know because you know they're holy and special and I just don't have the ability to understand. And that's a problem. The legitimate reason to use scholars and madahib has now turned into something which has dumbed the masses down and it created a major intellectual stagnation in this ummah. And what we need as part of our revival, and this is the big mistake of then the other people, the counter-revolution. You always have a counter-reaction which is more extreme than the first one, right? So the counter-reaction was, how dare you, how dare these people, yani dumb us down, we don't need them at all, right? And so then you had that kind of, you know, what's today termed as the la madhhabiyya, non-madhhab, wahhabi, salafi, whatever you want to call it, early hadith. You know, you have that labeled kind of reaction movement where, you know, incorrectly, they are uh, blamed for saying, we don't need imams or madhhabs or who the hell are Hanafis and Malikis and Shafi'is. All of us are can read Bukhari and Muslim, whatever. And so you had ignorance versus ignorance, okay? And obviously, there's, there's a problem. What we're saying is that the Sunnah approach to this is as always in the middle. That the ulama, whether they belong to madhab or not, whether they're from the four imams or not, have to be followed only because they know. Not because that there is somewhere in our Islam that says you have to be Hanafi or Malik or Shafi. Rather, it's because they know and we don't. And it's not permissible to act according to no knowledge. You must act according to knowledge. And so we ask when we don't have the ability. However, there is no honor, no respect and no position for a person to remain dumb. It's not permissible. Talabul ilm faridatun ala kulli muslim as the Nabi Sallallahu said, that to seek knowledge is obligatory upon every Muslim. It's not permissible to stay in a, in a suspended state. You have to read, you have to learn, you have to question, you have to you know, advance. And I always quote this, and it's probably my favorite quote from Ibn Taymiyyah ever. And that is that there is no honor, no honor in being a muqallid. There is no honor in just making blind taqlid all your life. Taqlid, which is to copy and follow your teacher without necessarily understanding the evidences, is a tool, a necessary tool. It's not the objective. It's the means. It's not an objective. It's not like yani, my whole life is just about following someone. It's, I need to follow this guy to understand the issue. 
And so when I understand the issue, then I'm able to then, you know, allow that issue to affect me and to, inst- you know, to instill something in me and to make me form, you know, uh, turn me, yani, uh, uh, you know, switched on and be able to understand things, etc., etc. Now, what I find is that this issue here of small and large, yeah, what's small, what's large, there's a fascinating approach to it from the two approaches. So from the method point of view, you will often find you will often find that in their teachings, those that really want to kind of control the masses, whether they intend to or not, is something else, but who want to really control the masses, they say it's the amount of a 50 p.m. pence piece, or it's the amount of two square centimeters, or it's the amount of one square foot, or it's the, you know, they put these figures in. Now, I've said to you, there's a positive in that, because people who don't want to think about it, they say, well, there you go, it's done for me. However, we can argue that if that was never done by the Prophet ﷺ, then maybe we should say that the other way is more closer to the Sunnah. And that is that the Prophet ﷺ didn't specify these amounts, these times, large time, small time, large amount, small amount. And therefore, he's trusting the people to educate themselves why these things are there. Invest yourself intellectually and emotionally into the issue and then trust yourself. You get it wrong, you get it wrong. You get it wrong, you get it wrong. At least you did it yani, knowing what you're trying to do. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said that a person who makes his jihad and he gets it right, two rewards, he gets it wrong, single word. This is not something restricted only to judges and to muftis. It's referring to when someone has the ability to work something out and they give it their best shot. Any person who has the ability to try and work something out. And you have as much a right as a normal person to determine whether blood, this amount of blood is too much and this blood is too small. You have every right. A doctor doesn't have that right. And a squeamish person doesn't have that right. Because a doctor is going to say, you know, cut his head off, no problem. Right? Yeah? You know, the guy could be torn in half, bleeding, and he'll say, yeah, I dealt with worse. It's only a little bit of blood. Yeah? Get the nurse in, clean it up. You know? Right? And you've got the squeamish one who'll see a little pinprick of blood come out. And And they'll be gone, they'll faint. So these two, you know what? They've got too much subjective bias to bring into the game. So we can't trust these two and their approaches. We want a normal guy, normal woman, who just, you know, straight up says, that's a plaster job, and that's dang, that's like stitches. You know what I'm saying? Your wudu's gone on that one. Yeah? So there is like, you know, there needs to be some... So likewise with the adhan, I trust the people. That's, like I said, it took me a long time to work this out. Right? A long time. Because you've got to convince yourself ultimately, isn't it? Do you trust yourself? And then do you trust the people, right? And if you are sincere, you trust the people. People will be able to work out that this Adhan, oh, I don't know about that, you know? He's went and had a little chat, this, that, whatever. Start again, bro. Yeah? You get what I'm saying? So that. You mentioned that it's only really speech here we're talking about. In this particular case. Yeah, it didn't say speech in the text. Uh, it doesn't, does it? No. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm saying that... Um, uh, I'm saying that, uh, so, so let me just translate literally everything that Sheikh Uthameen says about this particular statement. Small haram amounts invalidate the adhan. That is because the haram is opposite to ibadah. For example, if a person is about to give adhan and there's a, a, a group of people who are chatting, and then in the middle of the adhan, he turns to them and he says, so and so is this and so and so is that then he has backbitten him. And backbiting is from the kabair of sins, 
the major of sins. And so we will say to this person, you must repeat the adhan because it has been invalidated. And this probably happens a lot of times when people are on their journeys and their camping trips. This is what he, he says. Yeah? And it is understood from his statement, Yasirun Muharram, that if that person did something small but permissible, for example, a questioner asked him, where is so-and-so? And you say, he's gone or he's left. In the middle of the adhan, this is something simple from small, uh, a small permissible thing, and it does not invalidate. Now, he didn't mention anything. He didn't mention speech. But his both examples are for speech. Sheikh Muhammad Muhtar Shankiti, he says, he says, in the exact same point, قَوْلُهُ as for his statement, وَيَسِيرٌ muharram, A, i.e. وَكَلَامٍ يَسِيرٍ muharramin. He says, i.e. impermissible, small amount of impermissible speech. So it seems that all the commentators are agreed that this only refers to speech. So come back to your example before. Yeah. Where you said someone taking the phone out, having a quick look at their Twitter feed and pulling it back basically is okay. Right. What if they're reading something impermissible on their phone? Yeah. So you're, what you're trying to say is that why, what if the author, what if the author was not restricting it to speech and restricting it to any haram action and... Um, uh, you know, could see something impermissible, read something impermissible, etc., etc. Why are we restricting it to speech? I have to admit that that's my personal opinion as well. Okay? And it was my personal opinion that therefore led me to translate this as linguistically as much as possible. However, as I mentioned to you last week or the week before or the week before that, very important rule, yes? Can anyone remember that rule which I that I mentioned? Linguists can't get out of something, anything. You're right. No, I meant more with respect to if you're going to come with the theory. Finish the sentence. If you're going to come with the theory. No, I said something else. Make sure there's a seller for it. Yes, remember that I said that. That if you're going to come with a theory or you're going to make a statement, or you're going to make a call, then make sure there's a salaf for it, there's a precedent for it. So when I come across a scenario where I've got to make a judgment call, where I think that something is something, you know, bit not so obvious, then what you do is you check the commentators, your teachers, your scholars, you ask. I've got no shame. When I'm confused, I will ask a, a student of knowledge, scholar, teacher, whatever. I'll read the commentary. I read this commentary, he says kalam. I read that commentary, he says kalam. I look at any other commentary, they all said kalam. I'm saying this screaming at me, haram. Not just speech, not just something he says. But now I don't have a precedent. So now I either have to take a risk and then someone is going to say to me, what's your evidence for everything else? And then I'm like, well, that's just my opinion. What's your opinion worth? Not much. Yeah. Or I can go back to someone and say, well, you know what, a scholar has said this, a scholar has said that. So like I said before, it's always risky to make that statement. That's why I kept it as general as possible. And then when you try to keep it as general as possible, you get into the kind of mess that I did. Short, interval, impermissible, blah, 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 whatever I said. What, what did I say? What did I say? 
I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, where did interval come from? Yeah, uh, you know, a short interval where something impermissible occurs. I mean, you could probably say, or a small amount of impermissible action. Okay, or a small amount of impermissible action. Certainly, for the taught position of this class, even though I've explained the lingu- the speaking application of it. We should personally understand it as the general. I agree with that 100%. That when we take it away as a student, we should understand that a person who does any haram, or, you know, intentionally, does some kind of haram, then... <laughs> I have to thought sort of a random example. Person's giving the uh, adhan at the door of the masjid. Good-looking, mashallah, woman comes in. Eye falls on her. It's okay, first glance, accepted. But then my man then carries on, second one thinking, mashallah, carries on with the adhan. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? That's haram. The second one is a sexual look of desire, which is impermissible. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded, you know, غض البصر to lower your gaze. So that's a haram action. He didn't say a single thing, right? But you're still giving it Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar. <laughs> And thinking, dang, yeah? So that's not right. So I, I, I personally believe that is the, the, the correct position. I don't, I'm not comfortable with just restricting it, restricting it to speech. Okay? Yeah? Alright. Any questions on that one? No? So next point is what? Right. That is not acceptable before the time. What did I say? Yeah. It is not acceptable to be given before the time enters, except for the Fajr prayer, where it can be given after midnight. Now this is, this is, this is important. Because there's, we've got to question that statement. Okay? As for, it's got, it has to be given, uh, it has, it, it, it's not acceptable before the time. We've covered that already. Number of evidences. And the Shaykh Uthameen says, we have so much evidences. The Prophet ﷺ said, Once the prayer is present, hadar, hadir. You know hazir, as we say in Pakistan, Urdu. Yes? He is, uh, you know, Hazard, you know, yeah, all right, okay. So once the prayer is here, then let one of you make the adhan, okay? So, and the prayer cannot possibly be here except that the time for it is here, obviously. And so the Prophet has made it very clear that the adhan is given only when the prayer time is here. And also, there's another very interesting hadith, a very interesting uh, piece of uh, deduction, that's the word I'm looking for, by Sheikh Uthameen. For another evidence, he said that, that, that one of the times, the famous incident, where the Prophet ﷺ went out on a journey with Bilal, um, and it was incredibly hot that day, very, very hot. And for Zalat al-Shams, meaning that the sun started to set from its meridian. Yeah? We haven't done that yet, have we? Yeah, we're going to do that, inshallah. So the sun has now at its highest point, that's Dhuhr, starts when it starts to come down. Yeah? So it started to come down. So Zawal is now finished, that 20 minutes of waiting period. So Dhuhr has kicked in. So Bilal radiallahu an got ready to faqam al-yu'adhin. He stood up to make the adhan. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa said, abrid. He said, let it cool down. Let it cool down. So he stopped. Okay. Thumin tadar. Faqam al-yu'adhin. So he waited. Then he came back, I don't know, half hour later or whatever. He stood up to make the adhan. Prophet sallallahu said, abrid. Let it, let it cool down. Until they saw the shadows of the hills. Um, 
Indeed, actually, until the shadow of the hill became the same height as the same length as the height of the hill. So we're not even talking a little shadow, but rather you could see that the hills were casting a significant shadow. What do we know that? That is the start of Asr time, which means a significant delay. A significant delay. A Qarib al Asr. So then so Bilal didn't get back up again after he's been told twice and he goes, Alright, I'm just gonna just say it, right? <laughs> so the Prophet now said, Right, now you go make the Adhan. And so then Bilal then got up and he made the Adhan, then they prayed. Shaykh Uthameen says that the uh, Adhan itself is connected to the prayer. Connected to the prayer. It's not even so like necessarily about the beginning time of whatever. It certainly can't be before the time. And if, if anything, it's either on the beginning time or for the prayer itself. But not yani before. That's what he's trying to that's what he's trying to negate. Okay. Um So he goes that therefore, one of the lessons that we can take from this is that, that if there was a group of people, and this is very good, and this is a very important lesson for everyone to take, yeah? If you're out on a trip, or retreat, or a camp, or anything like that, yeah? You're chilling with your boys, you're out camping, whatever, and you want to pray the sunnah of Isha, what is the sunnah? What is the sunnah way to pray Isha? If you're out on a trip... What's the sunnah? No, sorry. What's the correct sunnah to pray? Uh, what's the sunnah way of praying Isha? Shortening. No. Oh, well, yes, okay. Shortening. Sorry? To pray it late. Yes? Have we done that yet? Right, okay. We haven't done that yet. Okay, that's fair enough. But those who don't fiqh salah with me, you know that. That to delay the salat al Isha is a sunnah. Okay? The Prophet ﷺ only made it early because the people, they, you know, they were not able to handle it. And so we only pray at 8 o'clock, for example, now because people need to go to work and etc. etc. Otherwise, it's sunnah to put it back to 11. It's sunnah to pray Isha at 11, half 10. That's the sunnah time. The Prophet ﷺ said, If it wasn't that I was going to cause a difficulty for my ummah, I would have made them do this. And so... If you are not in a masjid, you don't have the public responsibility, you don't have old people behind you, you don't have disabled people behind you, you don't have children and crying with their mums and and it's the boys or the girls or whoever, your own kind of group of people, then it's sunnah to then do the thing according to the sunnah. So Sheikh Uthameen says that if you are a group of people, you don't give the adhan until you're ready to pray. And that's the lesson, and that's a good lesson. Okay, you don't give the adhan until you're ready to pray at 11, even though the prayer entered four hours ago. Yeah, so how do you balance between praying the salah on its time and then this delaying of Isha in the sense of like, yeah, that's just that uh, that is the balance. The the brother asked, How do you balance then knowing this fact and the fact that we pray early? And I've told you the balance when you get the opportunity to pray it, you do it. So, meaning the balance is that when you are living in a community. The sunnah is to pray with the jama'ah, whatever time it is. And you get the maximum reward. And if you're by yourself, you miss it, for example, uh, or working, or, you know, then you pray it by yourself later. If you fear that you're going to pray a very poor prayer by praying it later, then this is silly. You'd pray it earlier because there's no point trying to, oh, I get the sunnah of praying it late, and then you just go, 
You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's a waste of time as well, right? Okay, right. So, um, so the question, so, so that's fine. But then this statement here, which comes, is except for the Fajr, which can happen after midnight. Now, this is hugely problematic, this statement. And you'll find that the majority of the Hanabila actually commentators also, I, 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 no, let me correct that. You'll find that a number of the ulama, they disagreed with this statement. Because, um, for a number of reasons. And I can go, I can explain this in detail or in um, a, uh, uh, or I can just summarize. Basically, we know that we have an issue here with the Fajr. The rule is the rule, it's very clear, on the time. However, we have this hadith of Bilal, radiallahu an, who was told by the Prophet ﷺ that go and make the adhan and, uh, um, um, you know, well before, well before Fajr. The text of the uh, hadith, so that you make the qa'imakum, that you make your, your, your people who are praying go back to... Um, uh, to go back so that they can eat and that you can wake up your sleeping people and this is what the Prophet ﷺ has actually given as a reason that's very rare by the way that the Prophet ﷺ gives a reason for why he tells someone to do something so he said that Bilal makes the adhan at night in order to make the people go back to, their, to, their, to, to eat those who are praying yani if they want to fast that's it, time's up and those who are sleeping, to wake them up. In brackets, to pray the witr that they haven't prayed yet. Because Fajr is coming close. So, we have a hadith here, where the Prophet has clearly explained the reason for this adhan. It seems, however, though, the controversy part is, that, is this now part of the entire process? The entire, or is it an exception to the rule? Because we've already said that adhan before Fajr is, is not acceptable. It has to be at the time of Fajr. How do we understand it? So, there are different scholars who said different things. Um, the Hanabila are the first people. They said this. They said that, look, Bilal did it in, in the middle of the night. And what's the night? The night is from Maghrib to Isha. And what did he do it in which part? He did it in the second half. And so, therefore, technically, five minutes after midnight, five minutes after midnight, you could give the Adhan of Bilal. And this is the key part. The humblies believe that you would not need another adhan for fajr. Do you understand? So if the adhan was given by a mu'adhin after midnight, so let's say one o'clock for example, then that would suffice for the, for the fajr. And that's basically what this point is saying if you read it. Yes? Look at the translation. What's it read? Is that for read it out? It is not acceptable to be given before the time enters, except for the Fajr prayer where it can be given after midnight. It's clear. It's saying that for the four prayers, it's got to be given at the beginning time. However, for Fajr, it can be given after midnight. So if you read that literally, that's what it's saying. It's saying that you do not need to then give one at five o'clock when Fajr actually enters. And that is what the Hanbalis basically understood. How did they understood it? They understood it from the hadith, basically. They saw that the Prophet ﷺ told Bilal to make the adhan. It was at night. What's the night? Second after night, blah, blah, blah. Very kind of, um, I don't know, very interesting kind of istidlal. Other scholars, they said that um, the only time that it's going to be acceptable to give the adhan for fajr 
at that time is if there is an actual another adhan for fajr at the time of the uh, start of the fajr prayer and that's the adhan of ibn umm maktum so that's the second position of the scholars okay which to be honest doesn't really help us it's kind of like an in-between and then you've got the correct position and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best and this is what Shaykh Uthameen says is the correct position and the strongest position and it is the, the right one and that is it's a simple exception that's it the adhan of Bilal has nothing to do with Fajr whatsoever it doesn't have a legal ruling of the adhan of Fajr either the Prophet even went to the extent that he clearly explained what it was he said that it was an adhan which will wake up your sleeping ones and it will make the people who are praying understand the time is running out. It has no connection with the Fajr prayer le- legally whatsoever. And therefore the correct position according to Shaykh Uthameen is that even the Fajr prayer adhan, legal one, has to be after the time has started. And that the adhan of Bilal, the hadith of Bilal, the hadith of Bilal Maktoum, all of those ahadith, all they ascertain, all they prove, is that there is a separate, specific, special adhan for the night to help people who are praying at night and who want to fast in the morning. But it has no legal ramification or connection to the Fajr prayer. And I think this is a very balanced and correct position. Allah knows best as a class position. Yes? Was, was it a one-off? No, not at all. Regular action. As we explained a couple of weeks ago, months ago, whatever. I don't even know where we are anymore. But uh, she would, Bilal radiallahu uh, anhu, uh, had the regular position at the top of this Ansari's house. She would you know, expect him coming every day. Standard. Regular. Okay? And Sheikh Uthameen then goes further. He says, this can be the only possible position because we have a very clear hadith which says that when the prayer is present, لَكُمْ أَحَدُكُمْ When, either, when, like conditioning, when the prayer is in, then let one of you make the adhan. This is general. There cannot be no exceptions to this. And it does not contradict the hadith that we're talking about. Because he makes adhan at the night time. Nothing to do with the prayer times whatsoever. Because the adhan has nothing to do with fajr at all. It is to wake up the sleeping one. And it is to make the one who's praying come back to yani, uh, his senses that time is running out. One, then two. Can you pray Isha prayer We're going to come to that um, in the prayer time uh, issue. It's very complicated. Sheikh Uthameen is one of the rare, rare scholars, rare, strict position that it is not acceptable after midnight. That's Sheikh Uthameen's position. The position of the majority is that it is makruh. Acceptable but makruh. No scholar says it's great and fine and wonderful. It's either makruh but accepted or haram not, not accepted. But there's a lot of detail. I, don't, I shouldn't have answered that really, but just, you know. Yes. Does anyone do this? Does, does anyone? Did anyone do this after the time of the Oh, of course. Of course. In today. Yes. Or in today, in Mecca, they, they do it. And in practicing communities and villages and things like that. You know where they are mutadayineen in a small area? You'll find that in different parts of Pakistan, Egypt, Mauritania, where people are praying to Hajjud regularly, Qiyamul Layl, and so on. Yeah, you do find the practice, yeah, and it's still going. Now, so how would you find midnight? 
Midnight, who can answer? We don't, we done that yet in this class? Have we not done it in this class? Are we sure we've not done it in this class? We did do it. Because it's not 12 o'clock. Yeah, exactly. What was it? What, what did we do it for? Huh? What did we do it for? Actually, yeah, we did do it. But what did we do it for, though? Huh? Did I just not do it earlier today? Oh yeah, I mean I said it, but people st- it doesn't they don't, don't they don't they don't clock on. Okay, so the question is what is midnight? Okay, and uh, obviously I have a lot of fun with this. Okay, all the time, every time. Midnight is not twelve o'clock. Okay, midnight is the mid of the night, exactly as the word says, and the night is defined from maghrib until fajr start, not not uh, sunrise. Okay, so today, so midnight would therefore be come on today in uh, Manchester. I'm saying that not online, okay? This is for my local crowd here. You're using that, are you? Maghrib, let's say, is 6 today. Correct. Correct. In today's times, it's 12 o'clock, yeah? Because it's basically starting at Maghrib and then go to Fajr, half it, and that's what it is. Most of the time, around the, the, the winter, the winter time is around um, uh, 11.30-ish, 11.45-ish, whatever. And then later on, in the, it it, go, it differs. It goes, but it basically differs between in this country here. I found it going from eleven thirty to twelve thirty, like this. Yep, it's like in between then, and obviously it's going to be unique every single day. Twelve o'clock is a general estimation. It's fine. Yeah. Yes. Say that again. If a person was to give the adhan, like just after midnight, we're going to go against the reason for it. Like, for example, telling people that we didn't start, we're finishing eating, but basically, I mean, if we did it now, it's just like hours to go to the Yeah, I, 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 correct. Well said. And in actual fact, um, I, I didn't mention that because I said I was summarizing. But Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar Shakiti and Sheikh Uthameen said that actually it makes no sense because um, there's a further discussion about when is it that Bilal actually gave this. Now, in fiqh of salah, and when we come to salah times, I will put my own theory forward, which is that Bilal gave this around the time of what's known as astrologi- astro- astro- astronomical... God, I hate those two words. Astronomical false dawn. Al-Fajr al kadib Okay? Or al kadib uh, False dawn. Now, how early is false dawn before the true dawn of Fajr? I say hour, hour and a half-ish, whatever. Okay, there are a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where he indicated that between the two adhans is time for this to go up and that to come down. Yani, the hand movements and what he's referring to is the subject of discussion. But the point is, is that there is a clear um, indication that it's late. Why on earth? What's the what's the benefit, Yani, of waking up someone who's sleeping if it's five minutes after midnight? I only went to sleep half an hour ago. Yeah, that's murder. It's not benefit for that person. You need to give him four or five hours sleep machine. Yeah. So, and also we know that if he's going to make the people who are praying go back to eat, well, we know the Prophet ﷺ has praised the delaying of the suhoor. So again, it has to be late. That's why the scholars said in general that the time of the first adhan, if you are going to give the first adhan, and if it was going to be even used in a position like this, which is why they don't like the humbly position, they said that it can't be after midnight, it needs to be the last sixth of the night, or in the, 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 the sixth hour, the sixth hour, 
What does a sixth hour mean? The sixth hour means a sixth. You know when you hear um, in, in the text they normally refer to as, as an hour, the fifth hour, the sixth hour, it, that does not mean the sixth hour after Maghrib. It doesn't mean that. Okay? It means that you take the night and you divide it into six portions and it's the last portion. So if you saw it that it's in the eighth hour, it doesn't mean that you count eight hours after Maghrib and that's when it should be. It means you look at the time period, you divide it by eight, and then in the last eighth of it is what we're talking about. So you'll find that a number of the fuqaha, they generally said approximately in the last sixth of the night. So the last sixth of our night would be? Hour and a half-ish? Hour 40? Something like that. That's the kind of time you're looking at. Yeah. Um, just to support this point that it's not to do with the Fajr prayer, this first event, what's the event in the time of Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam given for any other kind of reason, like a public service? Um, do we know whether the full adhan was given for any other reason? I don't know. I, I, I can't think of a full adhan being given for any other reason. I know of messages being given with the full adhan, meaning that the adhan plays a dual purpose, and we're going to come to that next week, week after, whatever, with the adhan playing double purpose, whatever. But for the adhan itself being given for an entirely different reason, um, not so much. Of course, not from the Prophet ﷺ anyway. Of course, there's a big question to come, a controversy to come, a controversy, but a difference of opinion, and that is, of course, the actions of Sayyidina Uthman when it comes to the adhan of Jum'ah. And what does the two adhans and the three adhans, and what's their function, and so on and so forth. And if we were to even accept the action of Uthman, that his first adhan is nothing to do with the time, but far earlier before the time, in order to get people to leave their businesses, go home, have a bath, you know, hurry up, it's not too long away, then, well, that would be a side evidence. Yeah, it would be useful evidence, but it's, it's, not, it's not easy. Let me conclude this then. Let's finish then with this. Okay, um, we're not going to do that final sentence about um, it being sunnah to sit after Maghrib. We'll finish like what Sheikh Uthameen finishes. He goes, well, khulasa. He goes, the summary. And this is probably something that you could write. And it's quite, quite nice. He goes, the summary to the, the, to the issue of adhan is that the adhan has a number of conditions which are either related to the adhan itself or related to the time or related to the mu'adhin. So the, we can summarize that, the, that there are a number of conditions related to the adhan itself or conditions which are, or, and conditions which are related to the time itself and conditions which are related to the mu'adhin himself. As for that, which is the conditions of the adhan itself, it must be one, in order, two, continuous, three, no errors that change the meaning. So it has to be in order, has to be continuous. Number three, that there can't be any lahan. You know, we explain lahan, isn't it? There can't be any lahan, any mistakes which change the meaning. Okay? And that doesn't matter whether that changing of meaning goes to a grammatical mistake which changes the meaning or a morphological. Is that the word? For sarf? Morphological? Who said yes? Yes? Sarf morphological? 
Not that I know what morphological means, but you know, I just remember reading it that they translate sarf as morphological. Yeah? But if, if you study Arabic language and you know what sarf is anyway, the most boringest thing in the entire universe, okay? But so sarf and uh, nahu. So it doesn't matter the type of mistake. And number four, that its number is that it's um, that it's um not number, it's uh Huh? Amount. Amount is the translation, but you know what I mean. I'm talking 17, 8, 19. What's, what, what's that refer? It's what? Permutations. Permutations. Yeah, I like that. Good. That is, permutations are according to the Sunnah. Excellent. That is, permutations are according to the Sunnah. That's exactly the four conditions. And yakuna al adad alladi jaat bihi sunnah. The word added here means number, but permutation is the actual exact translation. So those are the four conditions for the adhan itself. As for the conditions for the mu'adhin, then there are six. Okay? Number one, he's male. Two, Muslim. Three, sane. Four, discernible. Mumayyiz. Yani he is able to distinguish. Yeah? Five, he's alone. And number six, that he's trustworthy. I repeat. Male, Muslim, sane, discerning, mumayyiz, yeah? Single person, only one person does it, not single meaning not married, I mean one person, yeah? Okay, and trustworthy, adlan, okay? And then finally, with respect to the time, the conditions which are related to the time, for يُشْتَرَتُ أَنْ يَكُونَ بَعْدِ دُخُولِ الْوَقْتِ فَيُجْزِئُ قَبْلَهُ مُطْلَقًا عَلَى الْقَوْلِ الرَّاجِحِ there's only one condition and that is that it is after the time has entered the only condition with respect to the time is that it must be given must be given after the time has entered and the adhan of um, uh, and he's, he, he and I like this you see he says as for the author's opinion according to what the author said then the Adhan of Fajr is an exception to that rule. So he shows respect to the humbly position. But he himself does not agree with it. And it's not our class position either. Is that clear, yeah? He says that yani, the condition for the Adhan is it must be after the time has started. But according to what the author has said, then that's except for Fajr. But we know what we know, and we've covered that. TK, yeah? Yes. Yeah, according to the Hanbalis, which is just an adhan which is given by Bilal only, historically, and it never initiated the Fajr prayer. So after doing that adhan, you all go to sleep, and you wake up. That adhan is still valid. (coughs) For nothing. That's our point. For the Hanbali school, that adhan would be valid if you were to go to sleep, as you said, wake up and whatever, it'd be a valid adhan. Because for them, they consider that any adhan given after Fajr because of what Bilal did, it basically carries all the way through, through the beginning of the time right to the end. What have we just learned? We've learned that that's not the case, and that Allah knows best, that you still need an adhan for the actual time, i.e. the adhan of Abdullah ibn Maktoum. Yeah, an actual adhan at the right time of entry, and that's what we need. Yeah, okay? Any further questions? Yeah? Yeah? What are the qualities? No, no, we said that that is something which is recommended, not not obligatory. Yeah. The other thing is 
microphone, which echoes. Echoes, yeah. making the sound sound a bit more, you're not talking about now loud, but more beautification and so on? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think if you remember what we were talking about, we said that you know something which is intentionally being used to change the meaning, whatever, is really problematic. And if something is giving a natural echo, then that's not so major a problem because generally an echo is a positive thing. I mean, it's just Pax who's messed this up, isn't it, really? Okay? Because historically, echoing is a transmission of voice. Echoing, yeah, and it, it helps to transmit. Then the Pax got hold of that microphone and they made it into that, you know, that horrible sound that it makes, you know? You know what I'm talking about, right? In the Nath, the Annie conferences, when you... I don't know, it's like an artificial kind of echo. It's not an echo which spreads the sound, but it's like a reverberation nonsense. Yeah? It's like a repeat. And that's not an echo. So traditionally, I, what I want to say is that's a good point you make. Traditionally, an echo has not been a problem. An echo would be, you see this mihrab, okay? If you look at this mihrab, it was a Muslim creation in order to allow the imam's voice to be amplified without having to make him shout. So if you were to stand in there and walk, then you know, due to physics and sound waves and all that kind of bakwasi, I don't know, but you, it comes out louder. So echo is not something problematic per se. And if you were to shout it and you, and, you know, people hear it echoing, but it's, I think, the artificial you know, stuff that we add to it, which is more problematic. And Allah knows best. Yeah. Is there any evidence from the Sunnah to give as to a newborn thing? So we're going to cover that um, later, but actually I'm not sure that how much detail we will, we will cover that. So I will just answer that now. Question is: Is that um, is there any other, is there any evidence to suggest that we should give adhan to a newborn baby? There, there is evidence. There are hadith. Okay, there are three hadith actually on the matter, and at least two of them I think are narrated by Imam Tirmidhi. And um, that one is to give the adhan into the right ear of the baby upon birth. However, the correct position is that, um, and, and a number of people acted upon this hadith. Uh, I think Sayyidina uh, uh, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, the fifth khalifa, not the companion, okay? Um, he was one who acted upon this hadith. A few of the salaf acted upon this hadith, meaning they considered the hadith to be authentic. However, the, the, the correct position, and it is the position of the muhaddithin in general, the scholars of hadith, is that all these hadith are weak. All these hadith are weak. And therefore not good enough to be an evidence base. And so therefore one shouldn't give the adhan. And I don't. And, but I will not criticize someone who does, especially if they believe that the hadith is authentic. Now, you know, sometimes it's worth the discussion. And if it's your dad, then it's not worth the discussion. <laughs> it's your dad, it's never worth the discussion. And you say, Dad, knock yourself out, Dad. Go and adhan away. Okay? The iqama in the left ear, by the way, is based on a fabricated hadith. Yeah? So that's even worse. That's even worse. So if your dad said, you know, I'll give you a choice. It's either iqama or adhan. So go to adhan, adhan. Then go adhan. <laughs> Do the adhan. Yeah? question. Yep. You know, obviously, now in modern times, people have the Azan clock. That's right. Do some scholars say that's a cop-out because it's 
No, they don't say it's a, so. Uh, 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 Navid asking about the Adan clock, and we covered it a couple of weeks ago. I think when you were working that that, that night, we basically said that it cannot be a used. So it's not a cop out. It doesn't have any legal basis whatsoever. The only, the only, the only thing that Adan clock does. Remember, remember, remember. Let's let's not forget what we're talking about here. The Adan is recommended to give. It is not a condition to give for an individual. For the community and the area, it's an obligation. Okay, but for an individual, the adhan and the iqama, okay, are not obligatory. But it's something we must get used to, and a huge amount of reward. And so, an adhan clock only plays that role. It tells us what the time is now that the prayer has entered. Then, yeah, like an alarm clock, and then we should give the adhan. But it has no other function other than that. No other function. Yes, yes. They not have a uh, two-person adhan in some places. Do you know what I'm saying? No. So I th- I heard that the Ottomans, for example, at the, in the Blue Mosque, they used to have two people. One would say the other one would respond. And I think I've even seen a, a, a couple of people have told me this. You mean that there's two people up there, both have got microphones, one person is giving the adhan, yes. and the other one... He's just a normal person acting like a normal person, but he's mic'd up in that he's repeating the sunnah. That's what you're saying. Because we're going to cover in a couple of weeks' time what the sunnah is for the one who listens to the adhan. And you will learn that that is to repeat the words of the mu'addin, except for some, you know, four, four, four places. So what you're saying is that they've given him a microphone. <laughs> That's what you're saying, right? And so the person would hear... Is that, is that an invalid adhan? If more than one person... It's not an invalid adhan, it's a bid'ah. The first adhan is as it is. Legal. The guy is doing it. Like, how would, you give, how would you give an Islamic ruling on this practice? You would look at the scenario. So you've got this mu'addin. He's obviously in on a game, which is why... This is, that, that's obviously not very good at all. Not nice and problematic. But it's his job, whatever. He's in on a game. He knows all I've got to do is make the adhan. It doesn't matter what anyone else is saying or doing, but he just concentrates on his adhan. He's the mu'addin. What you're saying is that there's another guy, and I think I've seen the same thing, but, you know, whatever. He's got a microphone for touristy purposes. There's no fiqh in this whatsoever. Unless, unless, his justification is I'm teaching the people of what the sunnah is. He then sits there or stands there and when the muaddin goes, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, then he should, if he's really following the sunnah, should say, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Isn't it? He shouldn't be saying, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, because the hadith, as we're going to come to it, does not say, do the adhan again. It says, repeat what the muaddin says. And the muaddin is saying, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, because he's calling people. You're not calling people. You're doing the sunnah of repeating what the mu'addin says. When he says, Hayya salah, hayya salah, you will say, La hawla wa la illa billah. So if he's saying into the microphone, La hawla wa la illa billah, in a normal voice, then it's like what I said to you. It's a normal guy who's putting on a normal act, except that he's got a microphone. But if he starts saying that loudly, like, La hawla wa la illa billah, this guy wants beats. <laughs> he wants proper beats. It's pure bid'ah. Pure bid'ah, but the original adhan is in its place. It's valid as long as the prayer has entered, as long as the you know the conditions that we just said. Allah, Ahmad, yeah. Before Allah, some people say that 
Yes. Yes, we're going to cover that. What is to be said after we give the adhan? We'll cover that next next uh, uh, couple of weeks. Before, Before? Yeah, that's bid'ah. That's bid'ah. We'll, 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 we'll cover that. That's another very popular practice. People stand up on the thingy. They start sending salawat upon the Prophet ﷺ before they give the adhan. There's no basis for that. And all the khair in the world is following the Prophet ﷺ. And he never ever sanctioned that. And the senior companions and the minor companions and the young companions never did it. Simple as that. Yeah. Is there any communal obligation to give the adhan of Bilal? Not that I know of, no. I didn't see any scholars say that. Do they need to make the adhan? Iqama? So, um, uh, yeah, we said that it, 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 uh, uh, there's a scholarly, there's a difference of opinion upon this. And we said that if the women do give an iqama for their own jama'ah, that's acceptable, inshallah. And what we said is that there are some scholars that said there is no iqama or adhan for the women uh, altogether. Like Imam Malik, for example. The Maliki Madhab, there is no yani, iqama, no adhan, and so on. It's not legislated for them. There's no public call for them. So what are they, what's the proper function and purpose? And he has a good point. Okay. However, uh, the iqama something is tight inside, restricted for that small group, and they say it for themselves, and there's no fitna causes as a result of it, then, inshallah, that's, that's down. That's okay. But no adhan. Adhan, yani adhan of the woman, yani, what is that? However, if, and again, this is controversial as well, and we covered it in detail before, you'll have to go back about six, seven, eight lessons, and you'll see it in the notes. Um, if they were in a closed area, just themselves, and they gave it to themselves, some scholars will allow that. But the majority won't, because they'll say that the adhan is not legislated in the first place for the women. So even if they give it to one another, it's just that they're giving it to one another. The adhan was not meant to be given for one another. The other side will say the adhan is dhikr. Why shouldn't they get the opportunity to say it if it's not going to affect anyone else? And we're making sure no one else hears it. It's only for them. I have to say that I find I'm sympathetic to that position. I, I, I think that that's stronger. So it's permissible. Allah knows best. But it's important for us to understand the reasoning of why those said that it's not legislated. Online? Zafar? Um... Someone just being a bit technical with regards to the condition of the time for the adhan. What about giving it after the time for the prayer has finished? Shouldn't that be a technical condition? I could read it a few times myself. <laughs> but what, we, what we've translated it as is. Is not acceptable to be given before the time enters. Yeah. What they're saying is that shouldn't we have the extra part? It is not acceptable to be given before the time enters, and after the time has passed. I think that I think that it doesn't say after the time has passed because then it wouldn't be an adhan then. That was a question. Answer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fair enough. And the answer is is that it's not there because it wouldn't be an adhan for that prayer. Then you just missed it. It's gone. Um. Just to clarify, will it be permissible to either shout a random word intentionally, unintentionally, either in anger or reprimand, particularly if children are misbehaving, if others are being loud, it is a short word, but the mother may be angry. This is okay. Question. Yes, I believe that's okay. <laughs> I believe, I believe a lot of, I felt, I felt it. I felt a lot of feeling there as well. I think, I think that's okay, inshallah. 
Yeah? Are we good? Zakamullah, everybody. Thank you very much, inshallah. Oh, yes. Um, uh, for tonight. Uh, sorry, not for tonight. Tonight. For next Saturday. So not this coming Saturday. Next Saturday night, inshallah. Dominion, about 6.30-ish, 6.45 start at the European Islamic Center, Oldham. We have Sister Jeeva and Uthman who have the physical tickets. And that will save you exactly pound sixty-seven, which is a lot of money. pound sixty-seven is a good number of chocolate bars. And yeah, how many? Six. Six? Okay. Six chocolate bars. Bro, we buy them from supermarkets, not from news agents. <laughs> We're the intelligent shoppers, brother. Okay. Right? So if you want to buy tickets, make sure you get them uh, 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 here now. Zakmullah Khair. Make sure you tell your family and friends. Let's make a big turnout. Honestly, all of you guys, I'm telling you, I'm major responsibility upon all of you to bring 5, 10, 15, I don't know how many people, just bring them. Because we want to have a nice Quranic night and I need to create a team from the amount of people. I need a big number because I know everyone's going to pull out. So, uh, yeah. Zakmullah Do we need any help from anyone? Yeah, that next week, I think. Yeah, okay. All right, guys, thank you. Assalamu alaikum.